John 14, please, in your Bibles, John 14. Uh, this morning I didn't feel that I should say anything about uh, my voice, but I've uh, been battling something, and so if you come around, I won't shake your hand. I'll give you a little bump there. But, um, uh, but anyway, I'm, I think I'm on the back side, but you can pray me through. I appreciate the prayers for those who have been praying for me. I certainly uh, I do appreciate it since uh, God lifting even for tonight. And, uh, but I uh, would uh, appreciate your prayers, particularly I don't lose my voice, but um, I certainly want to communicate what God's laid on my heart. Uh, tonight we're going to look at John chapter number 14. I am curious, since it obviously we're on the eve here of the conference, and how many of you have come from out of town for the conference? Can I see your hands please? Out of town for the conference. Okay, good, many, and of course many more, most will come in tomorrow, but some are already in, and we're certainly thrilled to have you here, and uh, trust that God will give you something this week that will be life-changing. And uh, then I'm just curious, how many of uh, our people here uh, had somebody in the service, uh, uh, you're pretty sure they were not saved? Can I see your hands, please? Uh, anyone at all? Okay, I know there were some, but uh, certainly be praying for those that God uh, would use his word in those hearts. Uh, of course, uh, let me just say a word about this conference. Uh, several years ago, God, of course, led the church on our prayer journey. Many of you remember that. It was a very... I don't know how to explain it, just had uh, God's leadership was clear because it was just uh, uh, much of the leadership was burdened about this. And, and we had the theme for the year, you remember, go forward on your knees and forward on your knees. And then we had the Bend the Knee Conference. And, and really that came out of uh, the book of Acts there in the early chapters and prayer. And, and there was a great emphasis. I know God worked in my own heart. I think many of us were stirred the hour with God. That God uh, led us on that pathway, spending time with God was uh, critical. I know we're all on a journey, but it was certainly opened our eyes to the fact that we can spend time with God in significant time. And then, of course, last year we had the Christ walk, and the whole burden was, is if you spend time with God, extended time with God, like the hour, you spend extended time with God, what happens is, in that hour, you know what prayer is? It's the breath of dependence. So what happens when you pray is you learn to depend. And when you spend extended time depending, guess what? The depending leaks out of your hour into your life. And we dealt in Acts 3 with, uh, of course, silver and gold have I none. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And, and we saw Peter walking a life of dependence, and so much so that he communicated to someone else the life-giving power of the Lord Jesus. And, uh, of course, we dealt with that. Walking with Jesus, miracle-working power, life of dependence on Jesus to do what only he can do. That was last year. And then as we really considered it, we realized, well, let's continue our journey. Because Acts 4, of course, follows Acts 3. I know that's a little profound, but anyway, Acts 4 comes next. And we know in Acts 4, after that miracle, there was huge kickback. And there was persecution. Now, let's just be honest. Our persecution today is far more subtle. I will say sometimes when I read an article about something to do with Christianity and read sometimes just for whatever reason, look at some of the comments, I'm absolutely appalled at the hatred that many people have toward Christianity. It's stunning. And so we understand we're living in a day where there's more and more of that. And culturally, we sense a kickback and you sense pressure. And even in Christian culture, sometimes you feel pressure to compromise or, or pressure to conform to cultural relevance. And of course, there'll be a session on that. And uh, so we're burdened uh, this year to deal with bold grace. And really it is, what do you do when there's pushback? What do you do when there's opposition? What do you do when cultural does, culture doesn't like what we're doing, where we're going? And of course, it's uh, Lord granted to thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. And so let's meet together asking God to help us this year. It's really still continuing on prayer because prayer is the, is the only way any of these things can happen. The Christ walk and bold grace, it all comes out of a life that is a, depending on Jesus for the supernatural. And I think we're all on a journey. 
But I also sense far more expectation that God is working and is going to work. An expectation that God's doing something. Now that brings us to the message tonight. Of course, it's not in the book of Acts. I will say this, I don't know if I should, but what about Acts 5? That'd be a rough conference on church discipline. But anyway, we'll, we'll just consider maybe uh, uh, looking at that a little bit later, okay? I'm not sure what next year will hold. But, um, uh, uh, but anyway, uh, we'll, we'll stay in Acts 4 this year. But, um, but here in John 14, last year, pastor preached a message, and God used uh, some of his insights to begin to stir my heart. And a couple of weeks ago, I was down in Pastor Billy Ingram's church and had the privilege of preaching on John 14. And wanted to share some of those things, and since then it's become a little more developed in my heart. And I just want to read some texts of Scripture, and then we'll begin the message. And here it is, if you love me, if you love me. The message is entitled, If You Love Me. Look at verse number 15. Jesus, of course, is speaking. If you have a red-letter edition of the New Testament, you'll notice that almost all of the verses we'll read are read. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 21, and he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will uh, love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. Then into Chapter, or actually verse 31 of the chapter 14. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Then down to verse number 9 in chapter number 15. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue you in my love. If ye keep my commandments, this is backwards now. First one was if you love uh, me. And this one says, if you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, after looking through all those verses, there's two words that come screaming at us, and the first word is the word love. If you love me. The second word that comes screaming at us is the word keep. Now, I'll be honest with you, for years I was puzzled by this passage, and I know this is kind of bad to admit, but it kind of seemed a little legalistic to me. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I kind of viewed it as, okay, if you love me, check off the list. And I said, that can't be right. So I struggled with, okay, what does this mean? And in fact, I was just with a dear pastor recently, and, and um, actually assistant pastor, and we were talking about a lot of what God's doing, walk of faith, you know, the legalism license, zero, 100, and all those kind of things. And he looked at me, this is a man in his 50s, he's my age, and he said, Brother Van Gelder, and he said sincerely, are you telling me? That when I was told, check off all these things and you'll be a good Christian, I was told wrong. I said, yes, that's what I'm telling you. <laughs> okay, but on the other hand, what is this passage then saying? Okay, so it's, it's not saying check off the list and you'll be a good Christian. What is it saying? And for years, I, I, I didn't really, I didn't really study it, but I just wondered, what does that mean? Because that seems a little, um, I'm struggling to make that fit with some of the other themes. And Pastor Van Gelderen last year focused on the word keep, and sometimes simple word study opens up. And many times where there is some tension in a passage, a little more study, you get down below the surface, you say, oh, that's it. And it all centers around the word keep. The word keep literally has the idea it deals with view or watching, viewing uh, you know, something that you're keeping an eye on. It's something that you're watching over, and it also has the idea of guarding. Now think about this. When you look over something, when you keep your eye on something, for instance, many of you parents... 
that have younger children. I remember back when I had younger children, some of us that are a little out of that age and had younger children, you love your kids. You really do. And as a result of loving your kids, guess what? You keep an eye on them. If you're out in the public arena, particularly where there's big crowds, um, sometimes I remember when we would go into those kind of places, so maybe do a family outing, we'd dress the girls all alike and give them a similar hat. And, and the reason is we could identify them. We could, we could, we could see them. Why? Because we loved them. And so we kept our eye out on them. They were valuable to us. Obviously, every parent understands that. Uh, when you're in a setting like that, you keep an eye on them. You, you watch over them because they have value to you. I mean, extreme value. You love them more than life itself. So this passage of Scripture is giving us some steps here. First of all, it says, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments, which is the idea not of checking out a list. It's the idea because you love Jesus you guard in the sentence you value what he says because you love him. Now, the best way to describe this, at least from my perspective, is I think of my own earthly father. I sometimes hesitate to talk about my earthly father because there's many in this room who say, Preacher, I didn't have a good relationship with an earthly father or maybe no relationship with an earthly father. Thank you very much. But uh, I will say this, friends, that uh, even if you didn't have a good relationship or a, a, a not, a, not a relationship with an earthly father, you, you can with a heavenly father. So, so understand the point. But I remember as a child growing up, obviously in the early years, I loved my dad, but I probably had a little more fear. You know how it is when you're younger and, and you certainly didn't want to, you know, you did right because you didn't want to get disciplined and, and uh, Bible truth was being applied. And so when I think of, by the way, my father was a wonderful disciplinarian, but when I think of my father, I don't think of that primarily. I think about the fact he loved me unconditionally. And by the time I was in my teenage years and even college years and even after college in ministry, I, uh, I, I can also say I deeply loved my dad. And I loved him so much that I considered anything he said to be unbelievably valuable. I valued what he said. And the amazing thing is, my dad's been in heaven 26 years. That's over a quarter of a century. And I still value what he told me. I mean, I value it deeply in my heart. So that's what Jesus is saying here. If you love me, everything I say, you're going to value. You're going to guard over it. You're going to watch over it. Make sure it's not taken out of your life. It's going to be something special to you. You know, many times I quote my dad. I quote him all the time. You know why? Because I think he had pretty good quotes. <laughs> I value what he said. I'm thinking, one of my favorite is dad said, you know, nobody in theology is 100% correct. Everybody has some part of their theology that's wrong, except for me. I like that quote. <laughs> and when he'd say that, there'd be a little twinkle in his eye, you know. Well, the point, friend, is simply this. I could tell you quote after quote of my dad. You know why? Because I value him. I remember him here. It's 26 years he's been in heaven. And I think of my dad all the time. Because I loved him. And I still do. Love him dearly. He has such an impact on my life. The fingerprints uh, are in my life, of course, the Lord uh, using him. But So that's the best analogy I can think of. When my dad, when I was in my 30s, still in early years of ministry, uh, we might be in a preacher's meeting or whatever, and my dad, uh, of course, had heart condition. He was weak in his elder years. And he would sometimes say, Jimmy, uh, could you run and uh, could you give me a cup of coffee? And I'll tell you, before the word E was out of his mouth, I was moving to do it. Do you know why? Because I wanted to do it. <laughs> I loved him. I valued everything he said. 
Anything you tell me to do. One of my favorite commands that he gave me, and this was a really good command. I was uh, just been working. Uh, I had finished college, uh, undergraduate, and I had been home for a few months as an interim youth pastor to help my dad. And, and uh, he said, you know, Jim, he says you need to go back to school because if you don't get your M.A., you will never get it. He said, so I'm telling you right now as your father, I want you to go back and get your M.A., and I want you to find a wife. I said, okay, Dad, I think I can do that. Okay, reporting for duty, okay. And uh, uh, when I went to college, you have to understand, I, I was kind of into studies and into the college life. And I, I knew there were girls there, but they weren't, you know, too impacting, if you know what I mean. And uh, uh, my dad, I think, was worried I was going to be a single preacher, and he knew that was difficult. In fact, I told my dad one day, I said, Dad, I think God's called me to be a single pastor, and he laughed. He said, I don't think that'll work, okay. Uh, but uh, especially in our day. But um, so... Uh, he told me to go back, get my master's degree, which I did, and find a wife, which I did. <laughs> you know, I didn't have a hard time keeping my dad's commandments. You know why? Because I knew he gave me those commandments because he loved me. <laughs> and he wanted the very best in my life. And he was trying to lead me in the right direction. You know, friend, I, I, I'm sure in my younger years when I was a kid, you know, I might have chafed a little bit, but I don't remember it at all. I love to do what my dad told me to do. Why? Because he loved me and, and I loved him, but I'm getting ahead of myself. But if you love somebody, you'll value what they say. And that's what the Bible is telling us here. If you love Jesus, you are going to value. So, okay, oh, you're out, out in the grocery store and the Holy Spirit says to you, you need to hand a tract to that person. If you love Jesus, guess what you'll do? You'll do it not out of constraint, but you'll do it because you want to do it. Because you believe that Jesus has your best interests in mind and there's no way you want to miss out on whatever he wants you to do because whatever he wants you to do is best. You see, friends, the problem is that many times we think that what Jesus asks us, asks us to do isn't the best because we don't do it. It'd be like, uh, it'd be like if uh, someone uh, came up to you and... Uh, kept giving you commands, do this and I'll give you a hundred bucks, okay, you know, in other words, wave and I'll give you a hundred bucks. Uh, you wouldn't say, I'm not doing that, man, I'm not doing that. No, you know, you do it, why? Because you think, wow, that's, he's got my best interest in mind, this is great. <laughs> but you see, friends, every time we disobey Jesus, you know what it means? Number one, we really don't love him. The Bible tells us this in one of the passages we just read. Not only do we not love him, we really don't believe that what he asks us to do is the best, <laughs> We think somehow our way is better than his way. And that somehow if we were to obey Jesus, we wouldn't get the best. Do you see what an affront it is to God? So if, we, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now I'm going to ask, I have four young men who've agreed to help me illustrate this because we're just at the beginning of trying to illustrate this message. And uh, I've got some poster board here. I asked that it would be big enough. I haven't seen this yet, but it looks like this is going to be big enough. I asked it to be big enough that they would be seen. So if those four young men that I have asked to come on up here, would you do that? Come up here real quickly. And we're going to go through uh, some things here. Okay, Alex, I'm going to ask you to hold that one uh, somehow so that they can uh, uh, see it right there. Okay, now if you love me, love God, okay, so number one, now... I told these young men that it was going to be legit, there was no gags, I was going to make fun of them, and uh, Tristan wanted to make sure I wouldn't make fun of the fact he was short, so I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to make fun of the fact that Tristan's short, okay? So I just told him I wouldn't do that, and so I'm not going to do it, okay? So um, Alex is glad Tristan's here, or he'd be the one we'd be making fun of, so 
Okay, so um, uh, there we go. But um, so here it is. Now that brings us to the next thing, and that is going to be, uh, why don't you move down there, Alex? And So if you love God, guess what you're going to do? You're going to keep his commandments. Now, the thing I want you to see is it doesn't stop there. Because you say, well, you know, preacher, sometimes it's hard to love God. Have you ever found yourself cold and God seemed like he's a million miles away? And even though you know you're supposed to love God, God, I know I'm supposed to love you, but I'm struggling with that. Well, I want to show you exactly why. God says, if you love God, you'll keep my commandments. But notice, if you will, please, something else. Look at verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, there's our word again. The idea watches over them, you know, keeps an eye on them. Because he guards them, which obviously infers value. Um, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved to my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Now, isn't that stunning? Now, I love this, and actually, if you know anything about this passage, the disciples keep asking Jesus questions. And the reason is the disciples were trying to view what Jesus was saying in the realm of the physical. And what Jesus kept simply trying to help them understand, we're not talking about the physical, we're talking about the spiritual. Now, notice the question here. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself to us and not unto the world? Okay, in other words, Jesus was giving enough information here that they understood. Jesus said, I'm going to go, and then, of course, I'm going to come, and I'm going to manifest myself to you. The world won't see me, it won't know me, but you will. And they're kind of, how does that work? Because they were thinking of it through the realm of the physical. They were looking at a Jesus saying, well, the world sees you right now. How are you going to come back and them not see you? And, of course, he was explaining, what I'm going to do is I'm going to move into your heart. My Holy Spirit's going to move in, and it will be a spiritual reality. Now, friends, I don't want you to miss this. You love God. You keep his commandments. And that brings us to our third, our third point here. God will manifest his presence. Now, God manifests his presence. Guess what? In our hearts. God is the spirit and they that worship him must worship him. Help me out now. In in spirit. God manifests his presence in the spiritual realm. Now I'm going to be honest with you. One of the problems we have in 2018 is that our world interprets reality through the sensory. In other words, if you can't see it, it's not real. In other words, what you can assimilate through five senses, that is what is real. And yet God has a different view. He says that which is seen is temporal, that which is not seen is eternal. And that which you cannot see is the spiritual realm. The Holy Spirit lives in us, and that is in our spirit, our regenerated spirit. That is where God manifests his presence. And I will tell you, friend, there's a God-shaped hole in everybody's heart. You've heard it. I remember a few years ago somebody saying, you need to watch that, that video of Tom Brady being asked of what it felt like to win the Super Bowl. There's got to be something more. And I remember finding that little piece of video and some sports guy, and I'm not into watching which one it was, I have no clue who he was, but he asked him, he said, Tom, I can't remember if it was first or second Super Bowl, but one of the earlier ones, he said, Tom, what does it feel like, man? You've won the Super Bowl. You're on the top of the world. What does it feel like? And I'll never forget that video. Tom Brady looked down. He said, there's got to be something more. There's got to be something more. Well, I can tell Tom Brady what the something more is. It is the reality of God in your life. You will never find fulfillment and satisfaction in life until God begins to manifest his presence. 
I believe what we're talking about here is what the songwriter says when he says, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. What the songwriter said when he says, uh, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Now, some of you know what I'm talking about, the reality of God. That doesn't hurt for you because you met with him this morning. <laughs> God pulled back the veil as you were spending time with God. All of a sudden you realize God is here. How did you know that? It was in your spirit. I remember about a year or so ago, I stopped at, at the lunchroom to eat lunch at the college. And uh, some of our students, some of our young ladies were there. And they began to share with me. And Brother Van Gelderen, you know what happened last night? We were having room devotions. We started at 10.30, began a prayer meeting because we were burdened about several things, family members and things. And all of a sudden we realized he was there. We went from 10.30 to 1.30. We prayed three hours and met with God. I will tell you, friend, that's what we're talking about, the manifestation of the presence of God. It's when he is reality in our spirit. And Judas, not Iscariot, couldn't figure that out. How in the world can Jesus not be seen by the world and yet be manifest to us? Well, we get that. I hope you get that. I remember I was, of course, raised in a Christian home, had a wonderful father, had wonderful parents, had a grandmother who walked with God, had parents who walked with God. I knew God was real, but he was not real very much to me. Oh, there'd be snatches here and there, services here and there, where I could sense God was there, but it was not personal. I wanted it to be. I wasn't a rebel. I wasn't a I hate God, get out of my life type kid at all. I want to do what God wanted me to do. But I remember going off to college and I got struck with something. My parents were not really in health. My mother battled cancer for eight years and died, or nine years, died a day before her 65th birthday. And my dad died at 72 from congestive heart failure. And, and um, so I was 29 when my mom died, 37 when my dad died. And I remember... When I went to college, it was like God struck me. Your parents aren't going to be here very long. You need to know God for yourself. I knew my grandmother wouldn't be here long either. And I will tell you, friend, all of us on our journey, some of you can relate with this, but I remember as a freshman, then a sophomore, and then a junior, I remember every night that I could, there'd be a few exceptions, but I'd go out after, after a quiet hour was done, our study time, about 10 o'clock, and began to go out on the field, and it's almost too sacred to talk about. I began to go out on those athletic fields, looking up toward the sky and saying, God, you've got to show myself, yourself real. You God, where are you? You've got to do something, God. And out on those fields, God began to manifest his presence, and I began to realize God's real. I didn't understand a lot what I understand now, and certainly was up and down, but I knew something. The spiritual realm is real. And what I want you to understand, you love God. You will value what he says. You want to do everything he says because, wow, he's got some big stuff for you and you don't want to miss out on it. And when you keep his commandments, God says the next thing comes along as God begins real in your life. He manifests his presence. Wow. You say, okay, preacher, how does this thing continue? Okay, let's go to the book of uh, well, John 15. And we're going to go to verse, John just passed its page over. Let's look at verse number nine. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you, here it is, keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. 
So God's simply saying, if you love God, you'll, you'll value what he says. If you value what he says, he'll manifest his presence to you. And then all of a sudden, you'll learn to, how do I say it? Revel, abide, continue, remain, dwell in his love. Now, don't miss this. Because when God manifests his presence, he never manifests particularly somebody who's walking with him. When he manifests, conviction is a manifestation of his presence, but that's different. Okay, when you're walking with God and he manifests his presence, you know he loves you. You're, you don't have to be taught it. You don't, have to, you don't even have to have scripture, even though you know the scripture is there. You know it. When he manifests his presence, how do I put this? You are filled with his love. And you know you're loved. There's something about being loved. I remember years ago, this is years ago, God brought me upon the path of a very troubled young man. This is back before Columbine, but he confessed to me that he was on the black market to get automatic weapons. Basically inferred he was going to shoot up his school. Very troubled young man. He was mocked, made fun of in a school. It wasn't a public school, it was a private school. He hated everybody in that school. And he confesses to me, I'm on the black market for automatic weapons. By the way, did you notice that? The black market for automatic weapons. And um, so, uh, uh, long story, I began to, in fact, I just off the cuff on the phone said to him, I said, you know, I wish you could come with me for a week. Literally within an hour, he calls me back. Okay, my parents give me permission. I'm coming. I'm going, oh, great. <laughs> this is great. We stopped overnight at one of our team members' house, and it was a house full of guns. I said, lock the cabinets. <laughs> Long story. You know what happened to that week, that particular week? It was a large youth group. They reached out to this kid, and they accepted him, and they loved him. And I remember God began to work in his life. He went down, this is years ago, to look at a Christian college. And I'll never forget the day he came to me and said, Brother Van Geldren, he said, something happened today at the motel that has never happened in my life. He said, I experienced the love of God. He said, it was like God wrapped his arms around me, and I knew that he loved me. And do you know what happened that, that day, my friend? He was healed of his hatred. Married, has kids. Life's been rescued. See, the truth is why it was the presence of God. When God shows up, you know he loves you. You know it. I remember years ago, I was counseling a young man who sometimes struggled with assurance of salvation, but I knew he had walked with God. I said, I got a question for you. I said, when you're really walking with God, fellowshipping with him, and knowing the reality of his presence in your life, do you doubt your salvation? You tell me what his answer was. No, I never do. Not at those points. Why? Because his love is manifested. So you say, okay, preacher, where are you going with this? Okay, when he manifests his love towards you, the Bible says, we love him. Help me out now, because. So what's the automatic reaction to the fact that God loves us? And the answer is, we love God. Which means we'll value what he says. We'll watch over it. Which means he'll begin to manifest his presence. Which means we'll abide in his love. Which means we'll love God. Are you seeing this? If I could, I'd put it in a, in a circle like this. And the best way I can put this, I'm gonna, I would call this a, a spiritual thermal. How many out here have ever been in a glider? Okay, anybody ever been in a glider? Okay, smart people. Okay, but anyway, I, I remember a few years ago, this would be many years ago, I was a teenager, and 
We had, my dad had a layman that was, God layman had, had some means, and his, son, his sons were taking glider lessons. And we were out at their house, and one of them said, hey, I got glider lessons today. He said, I've already got, I've already got, I mean, glider lessons today. He said, I've already got my, uh, my pilot's license. You want to come up with me? I mean, that, that was the dumbest thing to say yes, but I did. <laughs> so we got in this glider. He was the, he's the pilot, and he's, he's like 15. I'm 16, I'm behind him, and we take off, and this is out by Pikes Peak, and we go way up. And, um, and uh, all of a sudden, I mean, everything's fine while we're to the, top, the, you know, the guide wire's in. I mean, everything's fine. But all of a sudden, that plane gives some signal, and it lets him go, and the plane goes this way, and we go this way. And all of a sudden, I realized I'm thousands of feet above the earth in a paper airplane. with a rookie pilot <laughs> who liked to show off. He said, brother, oh, you didn't call me. He said, Jim, he said, you ever heard of negative G's? I said, no. So he does a few maneuvers on the thing. All of a sudden, I feel like I'm 500 pounds just being pressed in the seat. He said, now let me show you positive G's. The next moment, the dust is raining. I feel like I'm about, you know, I'm, I'm about to hit the, my head's about to hit the, the, the top of the airplane. And I said, you know, could you, could you kind of cool it on that? I, I'm not doing real well here. And I, I began to say, you know, could you, could you land this thing? He said, oh, he said, no. He said, I'll tell you what, see that plane over there? And I saw a plane doing this, and it was going higher and higher. He said, that's called a thermal. He said, when we hit in a thermal, it's like it's an elevator. We'll go around and round in the thermal. And he says, you'll come out, and you, dry, you fly down, you find another thermal, it takes you up like an elevator, and then you fly down. He said, we can be up here all day. That was the last thing I wanted to hear. <laughs> Finally, I persuaded him, you've got to take me down. You have got to take me down. Because I was not feeling good with the G's. I mean, the negative positives. It was, and, and all of a sudden, I remember we hit something. We went like, Phew. he said, that's a thermal. Oh, oh great. <laughs> but eventually, we did it again on the ground. But you know what? This is a thermal. You love God. You value his commandments. He manifests his presence. You abide in his love, which means you love God. And guess what happens every time you go around the circle? You're going higher and higher. You're growing closer to the Lord. Now, friends, this is what I believe John 14 and 15. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I'm leaving, but I got an even better plan. I'm going to come down and literally live inside of you. My spirit's going to live inside of you. It'll be a spiritual reality. And literally, friends, think of it. Think of the masterfulness of this plan. If Jesus had stayed on planet Earth, and I suppose he could have, obviously he couldn't have because of Scripture, but if he had stayed on planet Earth, none of us would probably spend much time with him. You'd have to get a plane ticket, go over to Jerusalem, stand in line. You might get five minutes with Jesus, right? Instead, he goes and he sends out his spirit so that every believer in this room is a potential channel of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is literally everywhere. Where there's Christians, that's where Jesus is. And so what Jesus is saying is, this is how I want it to look. You love me, you're going to value what I say. So when you're in that fast food joint, God says, speak a word of witness, you're going to do it because you want to do it. And when you value my commandments, I'm going to show up in your life. I'm going to manifest my reality. And then when you do that, you're going to know that I love you. And when you know that I love you, you'll have no trouble loving me. You know the reason I love my dad? I... It's because he loved me unconditionally. I remember a few years before he died, we were having a family gathering, and somebody had said, let's go around and say something that you appreciate about Dad. 
My dad was a very shy man, so it was certainly awkward for him. But I couldn't say anything. It was too deep. It still is. Because I loved him. Because he loved me. And he loved me unconditionally. And I knew it. I knew that my dad would suffer and sacrifice if he knew that that's what it took for, for me to go forward. I remember my dad just one day reminiscing toward the end of his life. And he said, Jim, because he had a congestive heart failure and heart problems. He said, you know, Jim, he said, I've thought about it. Where did I get these heart problems? He said, I think I know what happened. He said, when we lived in Durango, Colorado, he said they had you know, the scarlet fever. And he said, if you kids got a sore throat, he said, we scraped together money. We got antibiotic and we put you kids on it because we didn't want it to go into rheumatic fever and for your heart valves to be damaged. And he said, we... Didn't have a lot of money back then, but we'd scrape it together. He said, whenever I got a sore throat, he said, I just gutted it out because we didn't have the money. He said, I think what happened, I got a mild form of rheumatic fever. He said, I think it damaged my heart. You hear what he was saying? He was saying, I willingly shortened my life so yours wouldn't be. You don't have a hard time loving somebody who does that, do you? The point is, again, you may not have an earthly father that you had a good relationship with, but I'm telling you, your heavenly father loves you far more than my earthly father loved me. <laughs> and he proved his sacrifice, as we talked about this morning. He sacrificed, walk in love, even as Christ also hath loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice. We all know we'd all be headed to hell if it wasn't for Jesus' unconditional love. You have loved thee with an everlasting love. If you're saved on your way to heaven, I will tell you, friend, God loves you with an unconditional, everlasting love. And I'm going to say this because some of you came from damaged homes. You don't earn God's love. God loves you. I, I, I'm saying, tell you, he loves you as much as when you're sinning as when you're not. Oh, don't get me wrong. He's grieved over your sin. But his love does not change. Many people grew up in homes where they had to earn love. You don't earn love with God. It's unconditional <laughs> Now you're looking at, you might be looking at this and you're saying, okay, preacher, I, I see it, but I'm not in the thermal. I'm not in the spiritual growth thermal going up. I'm out of the thermal with gravity taken. I'm going downhill. I think most of us recognize that we live most of our lives out of the thermal. Wouldn't you say that? Gravity's taken over and down we go and we know we're going down. And yet we know there's, there is a thermal because we've had moments in our life when we did walk with God. You might not have understood it in John 14, 15 terms, but you can look back and say, yeah, that's what happened. Man, I had no trouble loving God. I loved to do what he wanted me to do. He showed up in my life. I knew he loved me. I loved him, and the cycle went up. So you might hear in conclusion, you might say, okay, preacher, how do I get in the thermal? Isn't that a good question? How do you get in the thermal? And I'll be honest with you, I thought about that. How do you get in the thermal? Well, I, I kind of put it this way. Just jump in. In other words, love God. You say, well, preacher, I don't love God. Well, love is a decision. We're not talking here just about a feeling. It is a decision to make the decision. You know, right now, I don't, you know, God seems a distant off, but I'm going to make a decision to love him. I um, came across a story, hopefully I can... Pull it up here because some of it I want to read, but um, there was, um, yeah, well, I'll just have to relate it to you. There was a woman who went to a journalist who was also, I guess, did some ministry on side and went to this journalist and said to him, uh, 
I think his name was Crane, Mr. Crane. He said, Mr. Crane, I, I want to divorce my, my husband. He's hurt me so badly. I don't want to just divorce him. I want to hurt him badly before I divorce him. Do you have any suggestions? So the guy looked at him and says, oh, yeah, here's what you do. Don't just divorce him. What you need to do for about two months is act like you're crazy about it. So, I mean, cook him the nicest meals, compliment every good thing, virtue he has, uh, tell him how much you love him, and, I mean, just do everything you can to make him think you're wild about it. And then after two months, divorce him, and you'll hurt him bad. Of course, he said it with a twinkle in his eye because he knew where he was going with this thing. So two months later, he calls the lady and says, well, are you getting your divorce yet? She said, no way. I'd never divorce him. I, I can't live without this guy. I love this guy. <laughs> kind of backwards marriage counseling, wouldn't you say? But, uh, <laughs> well, you get the point. My friend, there's enough in the Word of God. We love him because he first loved us. He does love you. <laughs> And he loves you unconditionally. And some of you come from dysfunctional homes. And because you came from a dysfunctional home where there was not unconditional love, you somehow think God does that. But God doesn't do that. He loves you unconditionally. He's got a plan for your life. He has your best interests in mind. In other words, everything he's going to ask you to do, he knows, is the best thing you could possibly do. So you can jump in there. Or how about valuing his commandments? How about just saying, by the grace of God, I want to value your commandments, God. I want to watch over them, look over them. I'm going to do what you want me to do, not because I'm constrained to do it, not because I'm checking off a list so people think I'm spiritual or somehow I'll attain to something. No, I'm going to value them because I know you love me and are telling me the best things that are possible for my life. I appreciate Pastor Van giving the testimony. So the Lord spoke to his heart and said, invite his neighbor. You think that was a good thing? <laughs> then after the service, the Lord said, speak to him about his soul. You think God had the right idea in mind? The point is, all of us will say, well, yeah, there's been moments in my life where I follow the leadership of the Lord, and wow, it's always great to see what God does. But we all know there's moments when we don't, right? And we get out of the thermal. And down we begin to go. Now over here, manifest his presence. You know, the Bible tells us, you read the book of Psalms. You know what I love about the book of Psalms? Even though it's written by, mostly by David, but other psalmists as well. The book of Psalms is written by a bunch of people who wanted God. And I love the honesty. Sometimes, God, where are you? God, oh, my soul's disquieted, but God, I'm going to hope in God. The thing I love about the book of Psalms is they wanted God. And the Bible says there in the book of John, chapter number 7, Jesus said on that great day of the feast, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit. In other words, friend, you could start over here, jump in on this part. God, I want you. I need you. God, oh God, well, I will tell you, friends, if you can live without God, you will. Do you know most Christians live without God? What I mean is we live without his presence. We go through the duties. We do what we should do or we try to. And obviously, it's kind of constrained. It's kind of tough and it's kind of a bummer. And, but my friend, you don't have to. If you, you don't, it's like this. If you can live without God, you will. But if you cannot live without God, I got really good news for you. You don't have to. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. And so, friend, you jump in over here. Say, God, I need your presence. God, I can't go on. And notice what Jesus said there. And I'm just, I got a whole message on this, which I can't preach at this moment. He said, thirst. And then he said, 
Come unto me and drink, he that believeth. Coming and drinking are the two sides of rest. Resting in him for direction, come. Resting in him for provision, drink. So you want the presence of God in your life? Get hungry and thirsty for God and then rest. Expect him to lead you and expect him to meet your needs. See, the key of manifestation of his presence is to expect it. And be thirsty for it at the same time. Thirst and rest seem like they're contradictory comment, uh, concepts, but actually they go together. They're attention. And Jesus taught us that. If any man thirst, he that believeth on me. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Well, what's that? This spake he of the Spirit. That's the reality of God in our life. And it's another way of talking about the manifestation of his presence. But the emphasis of that is the fact that we're a channel to bless others. Jesus Fill now with thy spirit. Hearts that full surrender know that the streams of living water from our inner man may flow channels only blessed master. But with all thy wondrous power flowing through us, thou canst use us every day and every hour. Oh, friend, it's saying I can't go on with God. You know why, friends? You know why we go days, sometimes months without God? It's because we can't. You know those people in this room that meet with God every day? I'm going to tell you why they meet with God every day. Because they have to. You with me on that? God, I can't go on without you. God, I've got to meet with you today. Oh, God, I don't care what it takes. I've got to meet with you. Manifestation of his presence. And, of course, when God shows up, we know he loves us. And when we know he loves us, no trouble loving him. You ever saying, my Jesus, I love thee? And love was flowing out of your heart. Oh, if you've walked with God, you know what I'm talking about. It's a spiritual reality. And what we are talking about here is, friends, a spiritual reality. And may I say this carefully. In John 14 and 15, Jesus was saying, that's how I want it to look like all the time. We read or look at something like that and say, well, I've had moments like that. Yeah, I've lived like that a little bit, but that's certainly not the majority of our time. You know what revival is? It's this. It's living there, getting that spiritual growth thermal and just going round and round, loving Jesus, guarding what he says. Do Obviously, the inference is you do it. And then, of course, he manifests his presence. You know he loves you. You have no trouble in loving him. And up you go. As many of you in this room say, preacher, there was a day I, I lived like that. Oh, God was so real to me. All I'm going to simply say, friend, tonight, I hope you'll begin to say, God, I can't go on without you. I need you. I'm sick and tired of living without you. I'm taking sick of going days without your presence. Oh, God, I've got to have you. God, I need you. Friend, God wants us all to live here. We um, just uh, had our prayer time just uh, for the conference and listened to uh, the recounting of the 1971 Saskatoon revival up in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. The thing I was struck with as the pastor related that move of God was this. The reality of his presence. He said you could sense God's presence everywhere. And, and lives were touched and people were saved. And, and it, was a, it was a miraculous story, literally, literally for months. That's what was going on right here. The reality of his presence. Thank you, fellows. I'll let you go ahead and get back before I conclude the message. We'll just lay these here on the ground here. Just lay them down on top of each other. Thank you very much. Appreciate your help with me tonight. So, friend, I, I guess for each one of you here is, uh, as you consider this thermal, we're about ready to go into a conference. 
And you say, preacher, I'm on the downhill, man. I'm in the glider, but man, I'm going down. I need to get back in the thermal. One thing that will help you is all of us tonight, obviously, we're opening the Word of God. <laughs> so let me urge you to come to every service you can and say, God, speak to me through your Word. Illumine my heart. Teach me. May the spiritual realities that Judas, not Iscariot, missed. Would you help me to get it? Not, not, not look at it in the sensory. Not look at it in, in, in through the five senses. and Understand that we're talking about a spiritual reality. The reality of God. I remember I was um, on my way to Decatur, Alabama to do a, a war, a, a war. I guess it was back in those days. Maybe been war of special forces and I was coming through Atlanta, and I called my dad up, and I knew he was in the area there preaching. I said, Dad, I'm going to come by and see you. He said, oh, great, Jim, let's go out for dinner. And so we went out for lunch, I think, at a Golden Corral, came back. And he said, you know, Jim, I'm not feeling very well. Would you preach tonight at the missions conference? And I was going to leave the next day for Alabama. I preached that night, and I could tell him while I was preaching, my dad wasn't doing well. And we went over to the pastor's house where he was staying, and I talked with him for a while. And we even talked about his homegoing. I remember uh, uh, asking him, Dad, what will happen? He said, well, I've got, you know, this atrial fibrillation. He said, my heart will go into atrial fibrillation. And he said, it usually kicks out of it. He said, but when it's time for me to go, it won't. He said, my heart will stop. Little did I know, he literally prophesying of what was going to happen literally in hours. I remember walking out, Dad said, Jim, you pray. And he said, I'll see you in the morning. But it wasn't the morning I was thinking of. I remember going to the trailer, concerned, but he was doing better. And my wife and I and daughters went to, I bedded down and went to sleep. And early in the morning, a car squealed in the parking lot. I heard a horn honk, and I don't know how to explain it. I knew. I knew. The pastor jumped out of the car and said, Jim, your dad's in heaven. I picked up Stephanie, just a little thing, and jumped in the car and yelled to my wife who was still getting ready. And I remember going down the stairs to the little apartment down there. And of course, my dad's crumpled body had gotten up in the middle of the night. His heart had gone into atrial fibrillation and his heart had stopped. And before he hit the ground, he was in heaven. And I remember lean, uh, leaning uh, by my dad, putting my hand on him. And, and those moments like that, you cannot even prepare for them. But my heart was filled for love for a man who unconditionally loved me. Now, it's a human illustration. Some of you may not have a human illustration like that, but hallelujah, if you're a father, you could be that. <laughs> but God loves us far more than a human father ever could. Friends, I want you to understand he loves you unconditionally. You don't earn favor with God. And all I'm simply saying, God is simply saying to all of us, if you love me, value what I say. And I'll manifest my presence to you. And you'll know that I love you. And you'll have no time, hard time basking in my love. And when you bask in my love, you'll have no time, hard, hard time loving me. So friend, where are you on the thing? Does this resonate with you? Is there something in your heart say, I got to get back in that thermal? Because friends, that's what this conference is all about. Living in the reality of his presence. Can I ask every head bowed, please, and every eye closed? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.